Father, we ask, we ask that we be open to being able to see you more clearly. We want to be able to, we want to be able to have you real in our life. That the things that we talk about at times like this, the, the songs that we sing, that they, they become more than just routine, they become more than just habit. But Father, what fill us, it's what gives us energy, it's what convicts us because we have experienced you, because we have we have seen you in the, in the eyes and the smiles of these little children. We have, we've experienced your love as we have shared bread and cup together. Father, we've been reminded, been reminded today just how good you are, how holy you are, and Father, just how, how loving you are. Father, will you allow us, please, to have our lives open to you so that we will become unhindered, that there'll be no barriers, there will be nothing that is between you and between us. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ who tears down all walls and who has built the one bridge to you. Father, we are grateful for that. And it's his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We've been talking over the last few weeks about good news. And we talk about it in the context of the fact that, well, let's just be honest, there's bad news that's out there. In fact, the world is filled with bad news. You probably got some of that bad news this last week. There was probably something that occurred that you were not expecting and it turned out to be bad news. It was a message that you received, a phone call, some type of information that you received that you were not expecting and it, and it perhaps changed everything just like, just like that. We got to be honest, the world is filled with a lot of, of bad news and in order to kind of be able to move through that bad news. We've been trying to, we've been trying to laugh a little bit because if you just focus on all the bad news, I mean, it can really, it can really take you down. And so for the last couple of weeks, I, I, I've been, I've been kind of hard on the Tennessee fans. I just need to admit it. I have been. And, and I've had some people ask and say, you know, Chris, what are you going to say now that, that Tennessee has finally won a football game? And I'm just going to take credit for it. I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, there, there, show, show this next slide. Yeah. I was at yesterday's game. I was at yesterday's game. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Um, I, I was there. And here's what I have found out. Tennessee has won six ball games in the last two years. And of those six games, I have been at three of them. Yeah, I have been. Uh, so show the next slide. Smokey and I, we're, we're pretty tight. Right? We're close. If you would like me to travel to Gainesville next week, all right, if anybody would like to pay for my trip to Gainesville, would like for me to go, you can see me afterwards. I'll be glad to talk to you, but I just want you to know that Sean has already given me a lot of incentive to stay, all right? He would prefer for me to stay uh, right here because it appears, whether it's away games or home games, if I attend, there's a 50-50 shot. Tennessee's going to win, right? Yeah. Of course, there's a 50-50 shot every week that Tennessee might win. At least that's what you Tennessee fans hold to, right? 
Hey, there's good news. Tennessee beat Chattanooga. So uh, good job, Vols. Hope that uh, you're able to enjoy, enjoy that one. Hey, but for our, for our focus and the things that we have been truly trying to, to focus in on, we, we've seen that Jesus has asked his followers to believe good news, right? Jesus has asked his followers to believe that there is good news in, in the world. And, and I want to focus us all in today on the idea that the good news removes barriers and it allows us to live life unhindered. Now, the idea of being hindered, that is a word that the writer of the Gospel of Luke, Dr. Luke, really enjoyed that particular word. He used it a lot. Now, the way that I remember it growing up was from Acts chapter 8 and verse 36, where there was a man from Ethiopia who said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Many of you probably remember reading that growing up, memorizing it perhaps as you were in Bible class. And Luke loved that word. Luke, as he wrote his gospel, as he wrote Acts, he would use that word a lot. In his language, for the journal that he would use, it would be kaluo. Maybe you remember in his gospel in chapter 9, there was an exorcist who was not of the band of Jesus' followers. And the disciples came to Jesus and say, hey, he's not one of us, but don't worry. We kaluoed him. We hindered him. And Jesus said, don't kaluo him. If he's not against us, he's for us. Don't hinder him. In chapter 18, some mothers were bringing their babies and they were listening to Jesus. And apparently these infants were causing quite a ruckus. There was a disturbance and members of the 12 apostles came and said, you need to get these kids out of here. You need to leave because we're trying to do kingdom here. And it's hard to do kingdom when you've got all of these kids and they're running around and they're so loud. And, and Jesus said, don't, don't kaluo the children. Don't hinder these little ones. He says, for such is the kingdom. And the disciples said, what? They can't even take care of themselves. Right? They, can't, they can't sing in the choir. They can't teach. They can't take up an offering. They can't participate in any kind of liturgy. They even have to have other people taking care of them. They're a burden and, and they're an expense. What do you mean that people in the kingdom are to be like these? And Jesus said, yes. Don't kaluo. Don't hinder and Jesus is trying to get across a point to these early followers. And I believe it's a message that we still need to be reminded of today. And it's that the kingdom is larger than we think. The kingdom is larger than we think. But we don't like that all the time, do we? And so the Ethiopian says, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And the answer is actually a lot. But let's back up. Since the last time that we walked with the disciples, since the last we saw them, there is a great persecution that has broken out against the followers of Jesus. Stephen, a servant of the Christian community, has been killed. And there is a man by the name of Saul who has begun to go about destroying the church. And he's going from house to house searching for individuals who are perhaps followers of this man Jesus. And when he finds them, he throws them into prison. And so all the believers, except for the apostles, have begun to leave Jerusalem. 
And Luke in his journal says, the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. So get the picture. Those who were followers of Jesus, things are changing for them. There is bad news everywhere that they look. They're leaving home, they're leaving family, they're leaving occupations, and they're being disseminated out through the known world. And everywhere they go, they have something on their lips. Everywhere they go, there is a message that they have. There is a ministry that they carry. And Luke says, as they are scattered, they go about preaching good news. They go around talking about Jesus. And I want to remind you of something that we've talked about here before, but I think it's probably a good time to bring it up again. Every transition is an opportunity for a greater witness. Every transition is the opportunity for a greater witness in your life. You see what's going on right now as perhaps you are transitioning from one job to another or as you are looking at the changes that are taking place in your health, you look at the changes that are taking place within your family, everything it seems is just all up in the air and it seems to be transition after transition and it's good news because you have an opportunity now to speak of Jesus in ways that you haven't before. You are going to be taken to environments to speak good news that you've never been to before. You have an opportunity to carry a message and a ministry to a place, to a time, to a people that you've never had that before. And so even though you might look at your life and say, you know what, there's a lot of bad news right now in my life. There's a lot of bad news of things that I'm having to deal with and changes that are going on. It's actually good news because every transition is the opportunity for a greater witness. And so the Spirit is pushing the church beyond ethnic borders and beyond national borders and beyond social and economic borders. And the Spirit is working very closely in relationship with a servant by the name of Philip. And he was one of the seven that was appointed by the disciples in Acts chapter 6 to care for those who were marginalized within their community. And as the believers scattered, Philip was lucky enough to wind up in an area called Samaria. And there he began to preach fervently. And his preaching was so powerful that droves of people were brought to Christ. Minister and teacher Anna Carter Florence calls Philip a first century Billy Graham. He was known in Acts chapter 21 and verse 8 by the nickname Philip the Evangelist. Oh no, that sounds all preachery, doesn't it? I mean, that, that sounds pretty cool. He was Philip the Evangelist. And I remember when I first got my business cards, when I first started preaching, and I was like, Chris Barnett, evangelist. Yeah. I didn't know at the time, but that nickname literally meant good news bringer. It sounds all churchy, but all it's saying about Philip was that he was the good news bringer. It's on the heels of this big tent revival that was going on that the Spirit comes to him and says, look, you need to go south and take this desert road. And I have to wonder if he was just a little bit disappointed because after all, he had been in this locale where people had just been obeying one after another, had been flocking to the good news of Jesus. It was kind of like a big metropolitan area. It was his Chicago. It was his New York. It was San Francisco. And masses were coming to understand the gospel. And now the Spirit says, all right, you've been doing a great work here, but now I want you to go here. And he obeyed. And he went. Because he knew that God was often behind insane ideas. 
And so he heads out. And this is where the story really gets interesting. He's going along this road and along comes a carriage carrying an Ethiopian who is on his way home from Jerusalem. He is a foreigner by every single definition that you can imagine. Now we don't know at that time what actually constituted the area known as Ethiopia. But from the time of Homer, if you wanted to say that someone was from the other end of the world, you said they were from Ethiopia. It's kind of like us today saying somebody is from Timbuktu, right? That's what they would say at this time and place. He was from Ethiopia. He was an Ethiopian. And the text says he was a eunuch, a man who by circumstance or surgery was unable to father children. And now this causes a hindrance for him. Because in the law of the Hebrews, Deuteronomy 23 and verse 1, it says no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. And so what does Luke mean then when he says that this eunuch had been up to Jerusalem to worship? What kind of man is it who is willing to walk around on the edge and just look over the fence? He would have had to speak to other people and say, hey, how was the service? How was the sermon? What were the priests doing? How many people were there today? He's peeking through knot holes. He's getting all of his information secondhand. And why would a human being continue knocking on a locked door? Why would a human being continue trying to enter a place that has refused admittance? Is he one of those people who thinks that if he just rises to a certain level of power, that maybe the rules no longer apply? That if he can get enough wealth, if he can get enough information, then somehow things will change. Apparently he is wealthy. He has his own copy of scripture. He has a chariot. He's in the service of the queen of the Ethiopians. He's the treasurer to his country. And maybe he just thinks that if he goes to Jerusalem, all the doors will be opened. Even though he's the ultimate outsider. But this Ethiopian, this Ethiopian eunuch is who the spirit pushes Philip toward. And he commands him to go up and stop the the chariot. First Samaritans, now eunuchs from Ethiopia. God's trying to say the kingdom is larger than you think. So let me ask you what could be a very uncomfortable question. Is there anyone or any group or any type of person or persons who you feel doesn't belong in God's kingdom? Does it make you uncomfortable when I say that the church is larger than you think it is. It's nothing new. Long before Philip started chasing after chariots, God was concerned about another group of outsiders. And so he looked around and he found a prophet to go and speak to the people of Nineveh. The man's name, you might recall, is Jonah. And God says to Jonah, go. And Jonah says, no. Uh -uh. I'm not going to those people. In fact, he goes in the opposite direction. He goes to Tel Aviv, to a port of Joppa. He pays his fare and he scurries on board. He goes to the bottom of the ship and he goes to sleep, but God was not through with him. The text says that God hurled a strong wind against the ship and they were afraid. And the sailors began in their paganistic ways, throwing things overboard, hoping to appease the angry gods who apparently somehow were trying to sink their ship. They end up finding Jonah among all of the crates. And they said, wait a minute, who are you and where are you from and and what are you doing? And 
And, and what country did you come from? And Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven, the creator of the sea and of the land. And so they throw him overboard. They throw him overboard and, and God appoints this great fish to swallow him in three days and three nights later, God says, Jonah, go. And Jonah says, okay, <laughs> all right, I'll go. And Jonah goes and he preaches. He doesn't think anything necessarily will happen, but the people listen. And the whole nation begins to repent. The whole city in sackcloth and ash as a way to express their penance before God. And, and God, he himself repents. He, he turns. He changes his mind and decides not to destroy the city. And Jonah was boiling mad and he was like, I knew this is what you were going to do. I knew that if I went and told the people good news, that they would perhaps respond. And if they responded, that you would change your mind. I knew you would do this. You see, Jonah had two theologies. The first theology that we can surmise as we look at his story has to do with the fact that he was a Hebrew. He says, I am a Hebrew. And this theology said, of all the nations of the world, God has chosen Israel. Here was a prophet who knew who was in, and he also knew who was out. He knew who was under grace, and he knew who was under judgment. There was the God of we, and there was the God of they, and he knew the difference. And Jonah could preach that sermon. He could preach that sermon, and probably to standing ovations. Preach a sermon in favor of Israel and, and throw in a condemnation of Assyria every once in a while. And standing ovations take place. Because, and you've seen this, there is nothing more powerful if you love applause than to play upon the hatreds and the prejudices of people. Oh, you want people to rise up? You want to hear the applause? You talk about who's in and who's out. That's an easy sermon to preach. But, but there in Jonah is another theology. He says, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear, I worship the Lord God of heaven who created, he says, who created the sea and the land. Jonah serves the God of Israel, but he also serves the God of creation. All creation. Now what's he going to do about that? How is he going to preach that sermon? The God that loves his creation. What happens when Jonah runs up against the God of creation? And I want you to think about the language that's found in that Old Testament story of Jonah. It says the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and the Lord provided a huge fish. Listen to the creation words that are used. Later on it says then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah. Then it will say that God provided a worm which chewed through the plant. It then says that God provided an east wind that would blow and, and blister Jonah. And he becomes so upset that he just asked to just go ahead and die right there on the spot. And God says, you're concerned about the wind? You're so upset with this plant? You're angry at this worm? And he says, don't you know that in the city of Nineveh, I have 120,000 babies. I have 120,000 children that don't even know their right hand from their left? Don't you know all of, all of this creation that's here? Jonah, I am the God of creation. Now, Jonah knew that. He knew it. 
But he didn't want to preach it. He wanted to preach the other. See, you preach we're in and they're not, and people often shout, amen. But you preach inclusivity. And you preach a big tent. And people say, mm, you better be careful. You better watch what you say. Lest you think the story is just some quaint one from ancient Israel. Let me remind you how Luke in the New Testament loves the character of Jonah. For in Jonah is captured much of what's going on in the early Christian movement. And so Luke will talk as he writes his journal in Acts about a man by the name of Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah. Remember him? That while the Spirit was telling Philip to go chase after chariots in Gaza, he was speaking to Simon Bar-Jonah and saying, you know what, you need to get up and eat. And, and Simon, or Peter perhaps, as you have heard him referred to, says, I can't eat. I can't eat these things that are here because these things are, are unclean. But no, you get up and eat. I don't eat unclean things. Get up and eat. I don't, but it's clean, the message of the Lord said. And so reluctantly, with the reluctance of the first Jonah, Simon Bar-Jonah, after he receives an invitation to, to journey to Caesarea to the house of an Italian military officer, goes he goes into this home about as foreign as you can get. The home of a man who is leading the occupation force of Israel. And this son of Jonah begins to talk about the good news. He says, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel? Announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Who is Lord of all? And the Spirit of God fell upon the people who were there. And Simon Barjona looked around and said, well, it looks like God has accepted these people too. And, and so here comes that word again that we talked about earlier that Luke loves, that kaluo. He says, who can, who can kaluo these people? Who can stand in the way of their being baptized? And there was a silence. And they were baptized. Can anybody hinder it? Luke loves the word hinder. And they baptized these Italian military people in Caesarea. And Simon, he goes back to Jerusalem and he was called on the carpet. And they said, listen, we understand that you went into the home of Gentiles. Is this right? And he said, yes, I did. Because how could I possibly, and here's the word, hinder God? The church is larger than you think. And it's painful sometimes to think about. It's painful to think about, but can you identify with Jonah and with Simon Bar-Jonah? Because there is in all of us this particularism, this cultural, historical, national, economic, and educational shaping of our lives. And then God taps us on the shoulder and says, look, the kingdom, the church, is larger than you think. And we go, but this is who I am. And this is the way I live. And these are the values that I were given. And this is the family that I grew up in. And this is how we talked. And this is what we believed. And this is what I thought church was. And God says, but I am the God of the sea. And the God of the great fish. And the God of the wind. And the God of the plants. And the worms. And the cattle. And I've got a lot of children who are out here. I've got a lot of children. So let's bring things back around 
to the chariot. Picture it in your mind. Picture Philip running, trying to get the attention as he is going through all of the dust and the thick clouds of smoke that are coming up. Can he make his voice cut through all the noise so that this eunuch from Ethiopia can hear him? Perhaps he yells out, perhaps he calls out, maybe he even goes and throws himself in front of the chariot. I don't know, but the Spirit of God told him, you've got to go talk to that man. And so he does. And the eunuch was doing what we all do. He is reading the Bible, looking for his name. We all want to see that in a verse in the Bible, right? We all want to see somewhere where the Bible is talking about me, just a promise or a phrase, something that matters to him, something that matters to us. And he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And can I just read you a little bit from that scroll? In your Bibles, it's Isaiah chapter 56, beginning in verse 3. A few of the verses will be here on the screen. I want to read 3 through 7. No longer let the foreigner say, surely the Lord will separate me from his people. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Isaiah is picturing a moment when the good news of God flows from heaven itself and the message goes to every nation, to all the peoples of the world that now there is no hindrance between man and God. There's nothing that's standing in the way. There is nothing that is a barrier. And he reads. And oh, I would love to know I would love to know the look on his face as he read that passage. He also reads in Isaiah that there was a lamb that was led to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shears is dumb, he did not open his mouth. And Philip will go and ask, do you understand what I hear you reading right here? Do you understand it? And the Ethiopian doesn't know, is the man, the writer talking about himself or someone else? And Philip says, he's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus who was cut off from the land of the living without children. And the Ethiopian is there wondering, do these verses apply to me? Do these verses apply to me too? I am a foreigner. I am an outsider. I am a eunuch. Can I be included? Is there good news? Is there gospel for me? Can I be a member of this church? Can I be a part of this community? You know, perhaps another time in his life, Philip might have pointed to the eunuch's ethnicity 
or his anatomy or his inability to gain access to the to the ceremonial baths that made people clean there in Jerusalem. But this time, as Rachel Held Evans wrote, Philip got out of God's way and he remembered that what makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. Nothing could hinder the Ethiopian from being baptized. And so Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch go down into the water and Philip baptizes him. Does anything hinder me? Philip says, no. There is nothing standing in your way to serve, to live, to be accepted in the kingdom of God. That's good news. That's good news for every man, for every woman, for every child that's here within the sound of my voice. That is good news for everyone who is on the outside of these walls. That is good news for anyone who has ever asked, can I be used by God? Is there a place for me among the people of God? Others may be upset, sure. I can imagine Philip thinking, man, what am I going to say when I get back to Jerusalem? I preached in Samaria and the Samaritans came to God. I, I, I preached to a eunuch and a eunuch came to God. The kingdom is larger than you think. It was enough for the Samaritans. It was enough for the Ethiopian. It was large enough for the Gentiles. And friend, it's large enough for you. The eunuch never saw Philip again. But he went on his way rejoicing. Because he had found good news. So let me ask you. What this morning is hindering you from believing the good news of Jesus. What this morning is hindering you from running into the kingdom of God. What this morning is, is hindering you from, from sharing this very message. What, what this morning is, is hindering you from being a participant in what God is doing right here and right now in this city. Guys, we have, we have one mission and that is to move people toward a life-restoring relationship with Jesus Christ. And that people there, that's all people. That's big people and small people. That's, that's tall people and short people. That's dark people and light people. That's happy people and angry people. It's all people. Go ahead. Think of a people. Yes, it's for them too. Everybody. It is our mission to move people toward a life-restoring relationship with Jesus Christ. You say, how do I do that? Well, you love God and you share His grace. You love God and you share the good news. You love God and, and you go and you be good news in the lives of other individuals. Whoever it might be. People in your home, people at school, people at work, people that you're going to see in the restaurant here in a few minutes. 
What is hindering you from believing and acting on that good news? Whatever it is this morning, I want you hopefully to hear the Spirit of God tell you. You are unhindered. You are unhindered. For in Christ, there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no male, there is no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Would you like to be a part of that kingdom today? Why not make it known as together we stand and sing?